P. Fighting Blindness, number 113, winter 2004. The newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Jerry Rust, Sylvia Piddington, Paul Netherton, and Jeff Strutt. In this issue, editorial, secretary's notes, research news, Lieber's amaurosis, how long, Appreciations, Welfare News, £20 Note, Gift Aid, Birds and Bees, Bikeathon, Undefeated, Branch News, Letters, Obituaries. BRPS is grateful to Lloyd's TSB PLC for sponsoring this newsletter. British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, registered charity number 271729. Honorary Secretary, Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. Telephone number 01280 821 334 for office inquiries. Email at info at brps.org.uk. Website www.brps.org.uk Welfare Manager Mrs Anne Fisher, 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, near Royston, Hearts SG87RD. Telephone number 01763 208045. The helpline number is 0845 123234. Membership subscriptions, a single membership is £10. Subscriptions which are due on the 1st of January should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham MK18 1GZ. Any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Whilst every effort is made to ensure the accuracy of all information printed, it is not always possible to check details on articles submitted and whilst information shown to be inaccurate will be corrected, the Society cannot accept responsibility for errors. Braille copies. Please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins Back in the dim and distant days of the 1970s, many young people joined together in groups to form branches of the newly formed BRPS. Most of them were in their 30s and 40s, and they gathered others from their local area who had an interest in defeating RP. They elected branch officers and a committee and set about the task of mutual support and fundraising to finance research. 25 years later, some of the originals are still carrying a large workload in those same branches, although they are now in their 60s and 70s, and they now need someone to whom they can hand over the reins or at least share the workload. We often read in branch news in this newsletter that there are no nominations for the post of chairman, secretary and treasurer, so the existing team agreed to serve for another year. Or the branch collapses, a fate that has befallen several branches in the past year. These people have done marvellous work over the years, but everyone deserves a break. Where are the young people with the dedication of those 30 and 40-somethings of a few years ago? They are around, I can think of at least one branch started in recent years by a group of young people, which is doing a brilliant job, but we do need others. Where are they? 
The principal aim of BRPS is to bring people together for mutual support and to work together, but we cannot do that on a national basis. It needs to be done locally. It needs branches within reach of all RP sufferers. If you are young, dynamic and prepared to give up a little time to help others, a loved one and in some cases yourself, why not give it a go? Think about it over Christmas. Perhaps you could start by contacting your local branch chairman to see if you can help with anything. They may be glad of more help on the branch committee or organising some event. Resolve to make 2005 your have-a-go year. Meanwhile, do have a very enjoyable Christmas, everyone. Look forward to hearing from you next year. Secretary's Notes by Linda Cantor This autumn, there have been a few changes to our structure. Chris Gash, our branch affairs manager, has stepped down from this post. I would like to extend my sincere thanks and those of our members to Chris for the tremendous effort he made in the post of branch affairs manager. Chris's contribution in regenerating interest among branches is well recognised. I am looking forward to joining members of our Hampshire branch for their 25th anniversary AGM in October. At the office, we are having a reorganisation. Viv is off to pastures new as her husband has been relocated. Kate is reducing to three days a week and we are in the process of a review. By the time you read this, you will probably have the Christmas decorations up. It is a time of year when I like to thank all our members for their continued support in so many and varied ways. Kate and Paul join me in wishing you all a very happy Christmas and a peaceful New Year. Research News A discovery this year may have provided the answer to a phenomenon regarding cone cells that has puzzled us for many years. But before proceeding further, perhaps it is worth explaining to new members that the retina, the light-sensitive film on the back of the eye, contains two types of light-sensing cells, rod cells and cone cells. There are roughly 120 million rod cells and 6 million cone cells. The rod cells, which are responsible for peripheral and low-light vision, cover much of the retina, but are denser in the outer regions. The cone cells, which are mainly concentrated towards the centre, are responsible for colour and fine detail vision. For many years now, we have been told of a very encouraging phenomenon where, in the late stages of RP, although the rod cells appear to be destroyed, the cone cells, which are at their greatest density towards the centre of the retina, appear to be still present, but for some reason have ceased to function. This has always given hope that in sightless eyes, the cone cells might be capable of being repaired. This would restore a limited amount of central vision. Recently, scientists in France have discovered important clues that could explain why the cone cells stopped working after the loss of the last rod cells. The answer appears to be a protein, emitted by the rod cells, which supports cone cell function. In other words, the cone cells are dependent upon their neighbouring rod cells in order to work, and when the last rod cells die, the cone cells shut down. This leads to the obvious questions. Can we reproduce what the rod cells provide? It appears that the genes causing some forms of RP are not active in the cone cells, 
but the cone cells are indirect victim due to failure of a support system. Scientists have been able to determine what the vital protein secreted by the rod cells might be. They have named it rod-derived cone viability factor, RDCVF. The research was carried out in laboratory dishes containing cultures of chicken cone cells to which were added factors from mouse retinas. Chicken cone cells in cultures typically die in a few days, but when mouse retinal material containing factors from rod cells was added, the loss was delayed. The researchers have identified what, among the many components of the mouse retinas, was the likely contributor to the viability of the chicken cone cells in the culture. They found it to be a truncated thioredoxin-like protein. The scientists found that mouse cone cells could also be preserved by this protein. It appears that cone cells contain a locking device whose purpose is to accept RDCVF. This news is an important step in the understanding of how we might restore some central vision to many eyes or limit its loss. For many years it has been a case of if the cone cells could be saved. Now we are an important step closer to knowing how that might be done. Bristol University Summer Courses I have, in past issues, included articles on the summer courses provided by Bristol University. If you have responded to any of these courses, in particular A Walk Through the Woods and Why Why, a student who is conducting the survey on these would be keen to hear from you. Her name is Zana Walker-Robson and she can be contacted at Zana WR, that is Z-A-N-A-W-R, at hotmail.com. Leber's Congenital Amaurosis by Robert Henderson There are several inherited retinal dystrophies similar to retinitis pigmentosa which start in infancy or early childhood. Some infants will have very poor vision, nystagmus, involuntary to and fro eye movements, and retinal changes of varying severity. This group of children has the severest end of the spectrum of RP, known as having Leber's congenital amaurosis. Several groups around the world have been investigating LCA since the mid-1990s, attempting to identify the genes responsible for the condition. There are now eight known genes and others that are thought to exist. We know that only 50% of affected patients, when tested, have changes in known genes. One of these genes, RPE65, results in a form of LCA with slightly better vision. Gene therapy has been shown to be effective in Briard dog and mice models that have a similar disease to LCA with the RPE65 gene defect. This has led to an improvement in the visual behaviour of both animal models, which represents an exciting advance in this as yet untreatable condition. Obviously the next step is to start a gene therapy programme in humans with the RPE65 mutation. Professor Robin Alley at the Institution of Ophthalmology has been given a large grant to undertake this project in the next few years. Before this starts, however, we need to learn more about how changes in the genes of LCA give rise to the clinical appearance of the condition. Professor Tony Moore is heading a study that has now started at Moorfields and will include Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children and possible other centres around the country in the future. 
the aim is to recruit known patients with the condition, both infantile and older children, and examine them carefully from a clinical perspective using a number of specialised investigations. Blood samples will be taken and analysed for the known mutations. It is hoped that new genes might also be discovered, though this is most likely to happen only if we have large families with a number of affected individuals. Having collected this information, we hope to be in a much better position to offer more accurate prognoses to families and individuals, and having a collection of patients about whose disease a good deal is known will benefit the future treatment trials greatly. Those patients with the RPE65 mutation may then be approached at a later stage to participate in the gene therapy programme. This work has been funded by the Special Trustees of the Moorfields Eye Hospital from a generous grant from Iranda Foundation. If you are interested in getting more information about the study, please contact Robert Henderson at the Institute of Ophthalmology, 11 to 13 Bath Street, London, EC1V 9EL, 0207 608 4041. Wanted. Talking teletext. If anyone has an unwanted talking teletext for sale, will they please contact Michael Downer on 023-8073-2141. How long will it take? Are we there yet? Murray Portlock. Those of us who have taken young children on holiday are no doubt familiar with the words above, as well as with the usual response, be patient, don't fret, keep calm. Over 27 years ago, our society was founded to raise funds for research that was practically non-existent at that time. Things have changed a great deal since then. Do look at our website and the links to other research sites and follow the progress in the newsletter. You will be amazed and heartened at how much progress has been made, but there is still much to do and inevitably a long way to go. At the AGM and at the Retina International Conference, we heard very encouraging news and we're told of the progress in many areas of research worldwide. But although there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it appears to be getting closer, we are not there yet. We have all experienced hope and frustration. Why does it take so long? How much progress has been made? How will this translate into a treatment for me, my partner or my children? When will the cure be found? Now we know that there is not one single cure for all types of RP. We also know that research has made enormous strides, and that clinical trials have already started for some forms of RP. But it will still take time. The clinical trials for any medication are not a matter of a few days or weeks, but several years. This is the result of regulations to ensure maximum possible safety. As we all want the cure to be found, we must keep going, raising funds and telling people about RP, what a blight it can put on lives, how stressful it can be. It is we, you the members, who are the key to the eventual defeat of RP, so don't give up. Keep working and encourage your friends to join and to take an active part. There will be no cure if we all sit back and leave things to someone else. Appreciations. In the course of each year, the Society receives donations from a wide variety of individuals and organisations. I thought it might be nice, in addition to the normal thank you, to mention just a few of these. We recently received a very generous £2,071 from the British Parking Association, raised at their annual dinner. One of our members, Malcolm Pickett, is their current president and they have adopted us as their charity for the year.
We also received £375 from the Newbury Racecourse Gold Club, raised from their charity golf day. Our charity was proposed by local member Colin Thorne. We receive many generous donations from people who have requested donations to BRPS in lieu of flowers for a funeral. Typical among these is Graham Hardy, who recently died aged 33, suffering from LMBBS. His mother donated £226, subscribed by friends and relatives. We received in a similar way £210 in memory of Mr Bert Dolby, whose late wife suffered from RP, and £400 in memory of Constance King. Brian and Wendy Smith sent £355 following their ruby wedding and £770 following Una Thompson's in-law's golden wedding. Frank Loney sent another £1,257 raised in the Regent's Bar, Aberdeen. We are most grateful to the recent donors above and to all of the others who donate in a similar way throughout the year. Welfare News by Anne Fisher Should you need support before you are registered blind or partially sighted, you can visit your high street optician and they will be able to give you a letter to send to social services. This is called Letter of Vision Impairment, LVI 2003. You can fill this in yourself with information about your circumstances and any difficulties or anxieties you have because of your sight problem. You can ask for information about the services available to you. The letter comes with notes telling you where to get advice and information, locally and nationally. The optician will probably also arrange for you to be seen at your local hospital eye clinic. You have another chance to be referred for help from the local hospital eye service. You do not have to wait until your treatment at the clinic has ended. Hospital eye clinic staff can fill in a form called Referral of Vision Impaired Patient, RVI 2003, with your consent. This will tell social services about your situation and state how urgently they think you require help. The Talking Dialer is a portable telephone keypad that makes certain you have entered the right telephone number before a call is made. It speaks the number of each key as you press it. After entering the whole number, you hold the dialer next to the mouthpiece and press the send button. The dialer then transmits the tones needed to dial. This costs around £35. For more information, contact Rickability on 020 7427 2460 or www.rickability, that's R-I-C-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y, dot org, dot UK. One of RNIB's most popular products has had an upgrade. The liquid level indicator is a practical and essential household item that many people with sight loss have in their kitchen. With its simple design and function, it enables you to make a cup of tea with confidence. Now, following customer feedback, it has been upgraded. The new liquid level indicator, DK98, has a louder audible sound and is slimmer and lighter to enable it to be used on more delicate cups. The liquid level indicator will be available from October 
at a new lower price of £5.99. For more information, contact RNIB Customer Services on 0845 702 3153. Would you be interested in taking part in a project to test DAISY books for MLB? You should be a visually impaired PC user, over 12 and a resident of the UK. To explore ways of offering electronic books with more convenient access, the NLB will be working with Dolphin Computer Access to run a DAISY pilot programme in the autumn. DAISY, which is Digital Access Information System, is a form of electronic book which brings together a number of different formats, text, audio and pictures, into an accessible, navigable digital book. DAISY books can be played on reading software on PCs, in hardware players and stereo equipment that supports MP3 output. To help identify the most cost-effective electronic library material, NLB would like testers to try out a selection of synthetically voiced DAISY books and provide feedback on this new form of reading. This feedback will help test the viability of DAISY books, improve their quality and assist Dolphin in further developing the EaseReader software. Testers will be provided with a free copy of Dolphin's EaseReader, the DAISY reading software, and a selection of DAISY books on CD, as well as supporting information to help you install the software and access the books. In return, testers will be required to load the EaseReader software onto a PC, read the DAISY books, and complete and return a questionnaire. If you would like to take part, please email nlbdaisy, that's all one word, at yahoo.co.uk. If you have less than £16,000 in savings or you receive the guaranteed credit element of pension credit, disability living allowance or attendance allowance, you may qualify for council tax benefit. Up to 1.76 million people may be missing out. About £860 million is unclaimed each year. From April 2004... A further 22,000 households should be paying less council tax. Some people did claim benefit, but not enough to cover their full outgoings. Up till now, claimants only received enough money to cover the value of property valued in the council tax band E, even if their home was actually valued at a higher rate and their bill was considerably higher than the bill for a band E home. This meant that even people on a very low income had to make up the shortfall themselves. Now, people living in band F, G or H homes will receive benefit that takes the full value of their property into account. Some people will become entitled to council tax benefit for the first time because their full council tax bill, not just the amount they had paid in a band E property, and the cost of their overall income will now be taken into account. If you live in a higher band home and already receive council tax benefit, it should be uprated automatically. If you are not getting council tax benefit, it is worth finding out if you can. RNIB Talk and Support Tele-support information and discussion groups for people with sight problems. The RNIB have reduced the cost of the talk and support services. Telebefriending now costs £8 per month per person, that's £2 per session, including the costs of the calls. Telesupport information groups also cost £8 to complete the group, 
four to six weekly sessions, including the cost of all the calls. Has anyone seen the £20 note? By Mark Pample. Many of you may recall that ten years ago, Neil Davis and I arranged and were the main participants in a ten-hour sponsored piano playing marathon. All proceeds went to the BRPS Research Fund. In the past ten years, I have been focusing on the development of piano technique against the progress of RP. It has been challenging because I have always relied upon fairly good central and residual vision to support serious piano playing. At 21 years old, I could play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata first movement and Chopin's Raindrop Prelude by reading the music unaided and putting it to memory. However, this process was soon to become very difficult as my RP worsened. I desperately wanted at least to sustain my playing ability, and realised I had to look elsewhere for support. I turned to playing popular songs by ear, some jazz. And then composing my own piano music, I attended various music courses to achieve this. Nowadays, I run a centre for people with mental health problems and disabilities. My RP was still progressing and interfering with my playing techniques. With the backing of Barbara Norton, I was able to tap into a fund to enable me to obtain a series of extra special piano playing techniques. Which have improved my potential as a pianist. My dreams have now been realised, as I am happy to say that I play background music at a fashionable local restaurant on an outstanding Beckstein, the best upright instrument I have ever played. On the nineteenth of June this year, carrying my Yamaha PSR two two five keyboard, equipped with touch sensitivity, and a collecting tin, I set up in the reception area. At the BRPS AGM, and played a variety of light classical improvisations for the duration of the morning session. On arriving home, I emptied the collecting tin to discover, amongst the many one-pound coins, a twenty-pound note. Gift aid. The following text is taken directly from an Inland Revenue document, paragraph three point five zero one to five, and may be of interest to some members involved in work for BRPS. Voluntary workers sometimes incur expenditure when assisting charities to carry out their work. For example, travel costs, postal or photocopying charges. Provided the expenses are reasonable and proper, a charity can reimburse a volunteer for the expenses incurred. Often, a volunteer will forego the expenses to which he or she is entitled. We are often asked by charities if they can claim gift aid on the expenses foregone by their volunteers. One of the requirements of the gift aid scheme is that the gift by a donor to a charity takes the form of the payment of a sum of money. So, a gift aid payment to a charity cannot be made by book entries following a waiver of expenses. The charity must physically pay back the expenses to the volunteer. The volunteer is then free to keep the money or pay back part or all of it to the charity as a gift aid payment. If he gives all of the expenses paid to him back to the charity. He is not returning the expenses, but making a payment of an equivalent amount. The charity will need, as normal, a gift aid declaration and an audit trail to bring the payment into the gift aid scheme. The payment will also need to meet the usual requirements of the gift aid scheme, benefit rules, etc. For audit purposes, it is preferable that at least one of the payments by the charity or the volunteer is made by cheque. Computer workshops. Those members living in the south of England may be interested in the computer workshops for the visually impaired being run by the West End Centre in Fareham.
the centre currently provides four computer workshops a week for the visually impaired. The courses are aimed specifically at those needing adaptations and specialist software, which would probably include many of our members. The course is NCFE accredited, but will also suit complete beginners. The classes are run by volunteers and are completely free. The project is expanding and there will soon be sessions in Waterlooville and Alton. If you would like more information, please call Lisa Emmons of the West End Centre on 01329 822 593. This is the end of side one.